I'm glad you are here and we are each month looking at our theme. Our theme has been hope starts here because we feel like if there's any year that needs some hope, it was a year after last year. And so we've been looking at the things that God has given us in terms of hope as we walk with him. And this morning, our lesson is going to be about hope when we are crushed by trials. And and trials are probably uh, one of the most important times that we have in life where we need hope, where we need some spiritual courage and encouragement to continue to walk with God. And, And God knew that. The scriptures constantly give us those kinds of encouragements to us that it's going to be hard, trials are going to be difficult, but that God wants you to remain with him and endure. Like in James 1 and and verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So there again, you this picture of the blessed are the ones who persevere under trial. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult and you're going to persevere through it. The writer of Hebrews says the same thing. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. We could just keep going and going of all the passages that say you're going to need endurance. You're going to need to persevere. It's going to be hard. Remain steadfast. And in thinking about all the scriptures that we could consider and use in talking about how to have hope when crushed by trials, for me, looking at the book of Job is the most powerful of all places. That is the the book that I turn to, and that's the book that we're going to spend our time looking at it, a couple of things and talking about how we can have hope in trials. Now, I want to do my disclaimer about the book of Job because there is no way to give a fair treatment of Job's 42 chapters for this short lesson. And it's unfair for any lesson to suggest that you got the sum of the book in just a few minutes. There are very important messages in the book of Job about how God runs the world and why things are the way that they are. I looked back, I think it was five years ago, I preached through the book of Job. Go there and get the full message of that, as this is going to be more of a short end of those things. But in looking at what happens to Job and Job's response tells us a lot about how to have hope when crushed by trials. Now, a little bit of setup is important. The first chapter of Job tells us about the character of Job. Job is a righteous man and he is a rich man. He has all kinds of possessions and he follows God. He is considered upright and blameless before God. But there are a series of catastrophes that unfold in Job's life. Uh, the, The second part of the first chapter describes after speaking about his righteousness that he essentially loses everything. 
His possessions are are taken away. His wealth is taken away. His children are killed. Everything about his life through a series of catastrophic events completely flips his life upside down and he effectively loses it all. A little bit later after that, in chapter two, you see Job even lose his health. And so that it is some of the severest imagery of what Job experiences in terms of how bad life can get in this world. And yet how Job handles this, I'm always stunned by and I think is highly instructive. If you open your Bibles to Job chapter one and look at verse 20, Job one and verse 20, after hearing about the loss of his property and the loss of his possessions and the loss of his wealth. And we're told in back in verse 19 that a house collapses and kills all of his children. Verse 20 says, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell on the ground and worshiped. First thing Job does. The first thing that you see Job doing is that he worships. And I think this is a very important response for us to consider and to not go blazing past what Job does initially because when trials hit, it can be our strongest temptation to distance ourselves from God. There's a tendency to want to pull away from God when things get rough When we are hurting, when things are difficult, we can have this great tendency to distance ourselves from God. We stop worshiping because attending worship and it hurts and we have a hard time being around other people because we're going through something so hard and so difficult and we just feel like we need to be by ourselves and so we distance ourselves from worshiping. We, we maybe even pray less because we don't know what to say. We just are at a loss for words. Uh, we can have the temptation to even be upset at God and just not understand why are things going the way that they're going. There are so many temptations in the middle of hardship and trial that tempt us to want to move away from God, to Get some distance away from God. And one of the most important things to see when we are in trial is that we need more of God and not less. When things get hard, the worst response we can have is to make distance between us and God. And so we pray less, we get in the word less, we worship less, we we just pull back. And that's the, the very response Satan wants you to make. And it's the worst decision we can make. And I want you to see with Job, his response is not to have distance from God, but immediately go right into the throne room of God and worships God. Think about how many of our Psalms that we've been going through uh, in our Sunday morning Bible class, where you are seeing the psalmist saying, because of the trial and the difficulty, I need more of God. And they are praying to God and desiring to be in the presence of God. They're always calling for that. And that is what you see Job doing here as well is saying, I need more of God. 
And that we would just build that sense within us. In the time of tragedy, we need more worship and not less. In the time of difficulty and disaster and calamity, we need more prayer. We need more time with God, not less. And and so often we can allow everything else to get in the way of the very thing we need most. And that is more of God. It is impressive to see the first thing that Job does in his suffering and in his sorrow and mourning as he falls to the ground and worships. And I want you to notice what he says in verse 21. In verse 21, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you thought about what Job is ultimately saying as he worships God at that moment and, and, and says those words, is it, it might be a little bit jarring. You, you lost everything. You're worshiping God and you say, naked I came into this world and naked I return. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What is Job ultimately getting at? And what I want you to observe is what I see Job doing is he looks at the start of his life and considers the end of his life and and, and makes a note where he simply observes, I'm starting with nothing when I come into the world. And when I leave the world, I'm going out with nothing. So therefore, everything in the middle is a blessing of God. That is a really fascinating perspective. And I think a very important spiritual perspective in enduring trials is what he does is he looks at the whole of his life and says, I since I started with nothing and I was given so much along the way. If I lose it. It was a blessing of God anyway. Because I'm just guaranteed two things to start with nothing and to end with nothing. No promises in the middle. I start with nothing. I end with nothing. Thus, he says, the Lord gives wasn't mine. It's God's doing. And the Lord takes away. He puts it all together in this very powerful picture that ultimately everything comes from God and it is not something I deserve. In fact, I want you to notice how he says that in in chapter two, in verse 10, after he loses his health, his wife comes to him and asks, are you still holding fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Verse 10, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not also receive trouble? And in this, Job did not sin with his lips. Notice again the picture that he's painting, the point that he's making, is that nothing that we have and nothing that we enjoy is deserved or required for God to give it to us. Now, this is a huge idea. But it changes everything about how we look at life. But I will ask it in this way. 
What does God owe you? What does God owe you? In this life, what does God owe you? Does he owe you good health? Does he owe you a good marriage? Does he owe you children? Does he owe you a long life? Or does he owe you children that will live a long life? Does he owe you wealth? Does he owe you a career or a career that you like? What does God owe you? And I think that is such a huge thing for us to consider is that so often our approach to life is there are certain, uh, shall we say, guarantees that I think God needs to give to me. Either because I'm righteous or because I live in America, that there are these certain things that God should give to me. And I certainly should have money and I certainly should have a home and certainly have. And I just ask, what does God owe us? You realize that God did not promise you life, liberty or the pursuit of happiness. He didn't promise you any of them. And so often that's what we want to qualify is what God owes us, what we deserve, what we should have, how my life should go. And what Job is doing here is so powerful to say, if I start with nothing and I end with nothing, nothing in the middle is deserved. Nothing in the middle is what God owes me. It's all the blessings of God. Anything that is above nothing is ultimately the blessing of God. And so if God gives it to me, great. And if he doesn't give it to me, great. And if he gives it to me and takes it away from me, great. Because none of it was owed to me. And so this changes the life perspective because then if I'm going to use my own life as the analog, I've been living 46 years of life. And that's 46 more years than I deserve. Sure, I'd like it to be 96 or whatever number you want to come up with in your head. That's your ultimate goal. But God doesn't promise that. It's not owed to me. God didn't say it's going to all be here this long. Nor has God promised me that I'm going to have relatively good health for all of those years that I'm here. He hasn't promised me that. It's not owed to me. It's not something that I can demand of him. I've been married now almost 24 years, 24 more years than I deserve. That's not owed to me. It's not something that God says he has to give me. I have three children, 19, 17, 15, which are 19 years, 17 years, and 15 years more than I ever deserve. You see what Job is doing in his perspective about life? Is he's looking at everything and saying, I'm not going to look at here's what God owes me and God, you've come up short. Job is saying, I deserve nothing. And so everything I've had up to this point is amazing. Thank you, God. And I want us to consider that is where thankfulness and contentment really do come from. If we're going to be content in our circumstances and thankful to God, this is the foundation I start with nothing, I end with nothing, I deserve nothing, and God has richly blessed me beyond anything I deserve. 
Now I have a whole new way of looking at life. Now I'm not going to be upset with how life goes. Because none of it was deserved anyway. Don't deserve to be here in the first place. And I'm glad I've had what I've had. And that's what Job is able to express. And please consider he's able to express it when he's lost it all. You know, when we've got it going well, it's easy to say. That's right. None of this is deserved, you know. It's easy on the plus side to go, this is great. Thank you, God. The thing about it's all gone now for him. Shall we not receive the good from God as well as the trouble? Should we not, if we're going to accept the good, we're going to accept the blessings. Do we not have to also accept the trouble, the hardships, the difficulties? That's Job's perspective. You're going to take from God, then we're going to take everything from God. Everything that God is throwing at us, that's what we're going to accept. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And it is a picture then of understanding that nothing we have or enjoy is deserved, but rather it is all a blessing of God. Number three, one of the things that happens over and over again throughout this book is an understanding that ultimately suffering and trials are necessary to jar us from our comfort zones. Now, the New Testament does say that a lot. And I put on the screen, James and First Peter, they're telling us that. Count it all joy when you're in trials. We go, what? <laughs> we need this. We need faith refined. We need the challenges. We need the trials. And the book of Job does the same thing where you have these instructions given that God is doing this in a way to try to help us. You'll notice that he says like in Job 33 in verse 29 where Elihu is telling Job and Elihu says to him, indeed, God does all these things twice, three times in his dealing with a person to turn his turn back his life from the place of corruption that he may be enlightened with the light of life. And to put that in our language, we need wake up calls. We need to be spun around from time to time. And that's what he's telling Job. So that God is using these things and he's teaching us in a way to keep us from the worst possible fate, to keep us from falling into the pit, to keep us from corruption. And friends, without suffering, we would fall into that pit. Prosperity is what blinds us to God. And God uses suffering and he uses trials to teach us, to wake us up. The famous Quotation of C.S. Lewis, but he, he really sums it well. God whispers to us in our pleasures. So when things are going good, it's just the quiet voice of God. He kind of mutes and fades to the background. He speaks to our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. (laughs) That's true. Suffering is God's megaphone shouting 
to rouse a deaf world is his observation. And the book of Job is essentially carrying out that idea that ultimately God is teaching us through trials and that there's no better teacher than God. It's one of the great lines that Elihu has for Job is he told, who's going to tell God that he's doing a bad job at teaching you in your life? That's what I want to do. Lord, I don't need these trials. The suffering's not necessary. I, I got it. I got it. I know. And the point that's being made is there's no better teacher than God. And he knows how to teach us. And who's going to tell him he's doing a bad job at it? We need these things to be jarred from our comfort zones. And ultimately, God expects us to trust him as the master teacher. That what we are going through is God asking us to trust him as the master teacher. And that really leads to what I think becomes the crux of the book of of Job. Because when you talk about trials and you have the scriptures always telling us you need to be steadfast, you need to endure, persevere through the difficulty, don't give up, don't quit, don't lose heart. All of those things are told to us again and again. Well, why? Why is it so important for us to endure? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why endure? Why not just be like Job's wife? Do you still have your integrity? Forget it. Why does this matter? Why is it so important? Look back at Job chapter 1. And I want us to notice something that you see discussed here. Job 1 verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Verse eight. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Verse 9, then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. That dialogue is everything. That's everything to what's going on. Because Satan's question is an important one. Does Job fear God? For nothing. Does he fear for no reason? Satan's point is this. The only reason Job, and by then the instruction, any human, the only reason any human ever does anything for God is because God gives them earthly benefits. That's what he said. You have Bless the work of his hands. He has stuff. 
He has family. He has health. He has everything you could want in life. And that's why he serves you. But if you take it all away, he won't anymore. But you put a hedge around him. You made his life good. So of course he'll serve you. Lord, if you keep blessing people and making their lives good, they're only serving you for the blessings and for the good. But if you take it all away, they'll stop. That's what the whole of the book rests on. Is do you serve God because of what he does for you? Or would you still serve God if there were zero earthly physical benefit? That's the challenge. That's what ultimately they're talking about back and forth. Is God says, I can be a fair, just, good God and bless my people. And they'll still serve me. For me and not for the blessings of the stuff. Satan says, take all that away from somebody and they will not stay with you. That people are selfish and the only reason they serve God is for the good that he does toward them. Now, do you see why it's important That we worship and draw near to God in calamity? Do you see why it is important that we draw near to Him and continue to love Him and seek Him and pray and serve and worship? Because ultimately, Satan is saying they're going to stop all that, they're going to quit, they're not going to bother anymore. If you make their life tough and take it all away, there's no way they will serve you anymore. And ultimately, then, what we are trying to show is that we must embrace our suffering and be willing to learn from God. Because what we are doing is showing Satan to be completely wrong about our motivation to serve God. That's why steadfastness is everything. Is because with a trial, an argument is engaged. And God is saying, in the midst of your suffering, you'll still serve me anyway. And Satan is saying, no, you won't. Make it hard enough and they'll cave. And God says, no, they won't. No, they won't. They'll stay with me. I want us to think about that idea for a minute. I don't know that you'll have too difficult reaching your imagination for this because I would suppose we've probably all experienced this, but let's just use it in a theoretical illustration. Suppose you have a friend and the only time this friend ever talks to you, ever engages with you, has anything to do with you is because they want something from you. How do you perceive that person? Best of friends, right? Great relationship. Never have anything to do with you. 
unless they want something. They want you to do something. Want you to give them something. What's your perspective of that relationship? We usually would say that person's using us, right? They're manipulating us. This isn't a real relationship. You're just in it for what I give you. You're just in it for what I do for you. The only time you come around is when you need something from me. When you want me to do something. It's a relationship we go is that's you're just using me. That's what Satan says every Christian is. Satan tells God every Christian is just using you. They're using you for your stuff. They're using you because you bless them. Because they have jobs, they have families, they have children, they have parents, they have all of these things and they have their wealth and their homes. They're just using you. But take away wealth, take away health, take away children, take away parents, take away friends, take away jobs, take it all away and there will not be a single Christian left on the earth. That's what Satan says. And so as you're in a trial, you're proving God to be right or Satan to be right. In the midst of the trial, you're showing I'm in it for God or I'm in it for the blessings. Let me end with just three passages and a couple of comments with the passages. How can we have hope then when we are crushed by trials? Here's the hope that is given to us is over and over again. God is telling us, I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I won't give up on you. We looked at Romans 8 in our Bible class with Psalm 44. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Doesn't matter what happens to us. Doesn't matter if you lose it all, if you run through with a sword, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Here's how James put it, as was read for us this morning. Consider those blessed who remain steadfast. I want you to think about people who endure trials. They are blessed. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Have you ever struggled with that line? James says, I want you to look at Job. And I want you to see the compassion and mercy of God. (laughs) You read that and go, I don't know, but that's the first thing I think of. (laughs) What? (laughs) Compassion and mercy? I read the book of Job and go, ouch. (laughs) Uh, What's he wanting you to look at? You've seen the outcome. You've seen the purpose. You've seen what God did, how God brings Job through the difficulty. Even though he loses it all and suffers intensely. 
God is with him every step of the way. And God is showing his compassion. He's showing his mercy. And one of the things that that James wants us to think about is that we would remain steadfast and look for the blessings and look for the mercy and look for that compassion that God has. That God is still there. That God has not left you. We consider those blessed who remain steadfast. And you know the steadfastness of Job. And you've seen what God did. In a lot of ways, you could put your name in that passage. If you think about your last trial in the past, and you could say, Now, you know how you endured that trial and you've seen the purpose of God, how God brought you through and his mercy and compassion as he helped you through the difficulty. See, he's using Job in history and saying, you've seen what God did with Job. You see how he carried him through and you've seen that in your life. That's why we count all those who are steadfast blessed. Because God brings us through the difficulty. This is what Peter talks about as well. A passage that I, I never slowed down long enough to think about until I was thinking about this lesson. Let me take it out of context for a minute. The Apostle Peter says, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. The context is even more powerful because he gives these conditional statements that are all true. He says... If God didn't spare the angels after their sinning, and he didn't, and if he did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah, which is what he did, and if he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for their sins and rescued righteous Lot, which he did, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. You go, okay, <laughs> I see that. God knows how to bring us through. God knows how to carry us through these trials. That's why we need to turn to him. That's why we need to seek him with all of our heart. That's why we run to him in these things. And that's why you have the writer of Hebrews. Don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward. You have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, You may receive what is promised. There's a promise that's awaiting us. And the writer of Hebrews says, you need endurance. Don't give up. Number one, when in trials, worship. Get closer to God. Don't run away. Number two, look at your life correctly. Start with nothing, end with nothing. Nothing is deserved in the middle. God didn't promise heaven here. He didn't say it'd be paradise here. In fact, the the weightiness of all of these texts tell us God promised it wouldn't be. You need endurance. You need steadfastness. Why? Because it's not going to be easy. God's making you the opposite promise. It will not be easy. It's going to be hard. 
So number three, no, God's the master teacher and I need teaching. I need to be refined. I need to be taught the ways of God. I need to get those rough edges taken out. And it's only through the trials and the suffering that that happens. That God speaks to our lives the loudest when we are in the midst of suffering. When we're in the trial. Or the words of Elihu, that God does these things two or three times in a person's life. To turn them away from the pit. To move them away from corruption. So that they will see the light of life. He's trying to move you to the light through the trials. The book of Job is powerful. And it's powerful in the hope that it gives us as we handle the trials, the difficulties, and the pain that gets thrown at us seemingly every day. But keep in mind this one thing. Every trial and ultimately every day that we wake up, we are either saying... We serve God only because he has blessed us with the things of life that we want right now. Or we serve God for nothing. Every day we're showing that. Every day what we do in life reveals. Do you serve God for nothing? Or do I serve God because he's put a hedge around me? And he's made life comfortable. He's made things nice. And Satan's right. If he took it all away, I wouldn't stick around. Which one are you? Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, trials are so, so difficult. And Lord, we are greatly tempted, greatly tempted to turn from you when things get hard. Lord, it's easy when life does not go according to our our vision and our plan and our desire to question what you're doing, to see it's unfair. Sometimes even think you're not doing things right down here. God, I pray that you would forgive us for the times when we have run from you rather than run towards you in these difficulties. Lord, forgive us for the times that we feel like you owe us something. That we deserve a certain quality of life. We deserve how life ought to go in some way. Forgive us for when we've challenged you for that. Forgive us for when we've thought so much of ourselves as if we have any say in how life ought to go. God, give us a heart of thankfulness and a contentment. Help us to be grateful for all that we've had in this life, even through the difficulties as well, even through our losses. Help us to see your compassion and mercy. Help us to see how much we need you. 
And help us to see how much you have richly blessed us, that you have given us so much, and we often just don't look at it. We don't see it. We're looking the wrong way too often. So forgive us for when we miss your blessings and help us to see them more clearly. Strengthen our faith, Lord, when we go through these hardships so that we will trust you no matter what. Help us to be stronger in our prayer life and our time of meditation and study towards you in our time of worship. And Lord, we pray that as we go through such hardships, not only would you refine us in a way so that we would be found favorable in your sight and be the people that you want us to be, but ultimately, Lord, every trial would display within us that we love you no matter what and that we would serve you no matter what we lose and no matter what's taken away. Strengthen our faith to that very goal. And Lord, may we be found faithful so that one day we will be with eternity with you because this world's not important to us. We pray this through your son and our savior, Jesus. Amen. I encourage you to think about where you are with God today and do you need the hope of what God is offering you? Life is not about here and all that we endure, but where God is ultimately moving us to. And we want to help you in that. We help you come to the Lord Jesus to turn away from your sins, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, to help you in that journey toward that goal. One of the great blessings of the family of God is that God didn't say you had to do this by yourself. But you can get through trials because we're here together. And we all have our difficulties and we all have our messes and we all have our trials and we all have our obstacles. We all have the stuff we go through. They're all different, but they're all hard. And we do it together. And so we're here for you for that. Anyway, we can help you once you come while we stand and while we sing.